Maybe my all-time favorite published photograph is this one. It is the, you've probably seen this, that's the, the picture of that the lone Chinese man staring down a column of Chinese tanks that was taken at uh, Tiananmen Square in China back in 1989. I, I love the picture because it tells, it tells an entire story of audacious courage. I love stories of just audacious bravery. I love to hear the stories of, of men who have won the Congressional Medal of Honor. If you've ever read or heard those stories, these men who took incredible risks uh, to save others. Like, uh, you might know the, the story of Desmond Doss. His story was made famous in the book and in the movie uh, Hacksaw Ridge. He's the, the man that was a conscientious objector, uh, a pacifist, but was drafted into World War II. And at Okinawa, um, he saved, I think, 75 men uh, uh, as a medic just by carrying them uh, to safety. But he, by the way, he won two other bronze stars in that war for other acts of audacious courage. Well, this morning we're going to read another story of audacious courage from the life of David. David is going to embark on a seemingly impossible mission. He's going to take a massive risk, all for the purpose of petty theft. Only, it's not theft exactly, because he's, he's going to give, make sure he gives back everything that he takes. He's going to borrow, he's going to tiptoe into the center of 3,000 armed enemies to borrow two items from King Saul. That doesn't seem like it's worth the risk, does it? What is the point? Well, this morning we're going to see that David understands the point. Not merely of this mission, but the point of the life of someone who truly loves God and pursues after his heart. We're going to read all of 1 Samuel chapter 26. Um, we're going to read it a chunk at a time. So let's begin. 1 Samuel 26, verse 1. I believe it's on page 311 in a pew Bible if you want to have one of those handy. Verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hachilah, uh, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, where the Ziphites live, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped on the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jeshimon, beside the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. When David saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew or he learned that Saul was definitely coming. David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp, and the people or the army was around him. Mainly, those first five verses are the setting of our story. 
Um, but we do learn the Ziphites are at it again. This is the second time since Saul, David's been running away from Saul that his fellow Jews, members of the tribe of Judah, the Ziphites, have sort of ratted David out to Saul, told Saul where they could find David. Saul wastes no time. He calls up 3,000 troops and heads out for where David is said to be. If you look back through Saul's pursuits, Saul tends to do this. He tries to, he wants a a massive force if he ever gets his hand on David. Because Saul knows David's a guy who's been able to defeat long odds. Um, So Saul wants a a massive force, which makes him slow and cumbersome. David's a lot easier to hide than Saul is. So, as we might expect, David sees Saul before Saul finds David. Saul's or David's reconnaissance efforts come back. He learns where Saul's camp is. David uh, sneaks to a, a vantage point where he can see, and he sees that the, the night camp of the army of Israel is in a giant circle, and there is King Saul right in the center of 3,000 armed troops. There's the setting of our story. Now let's, let's read the mission that David set his sights on, beginning in verse 6. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the, the people or the army by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, And Abner and the people were lying around Saul. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now, therefore, please let me strike Saul with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him the second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy Saul, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike Saul or his day will come that he dies or he'll go down in battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at Saul's head and the jug of water and let's go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head and they went away But no one saw or knew it, nor did anyone awake, for they were all asleep because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So in discussing this mission, I want to start here at the end in verse 12, because this is one of those stories in the Bible that it's really easy to read. And as you're reading it, go, oh, come on. This could never actually happen. So you're telling me that David and this other guy tiptoed their way into the middle of an army of 3,000 armed troops right to the bedside of the king, yanked his spear out of the ground right by his head, started talking about it, and no one noticed Like, had they not invented security guards at this point in history, picket lines, lookouts? 
Like if you're reading this story and that's your thought, there's no way this could happen, I would say, great job, you're paying attention. Because if you thought it would take a miracle for this to work, well, you get to verse 12 and learn, oh, well, that's exactly what happened. God anesthetized the army of Israel. Now let's back up to verse 6 and see how this came about. When, when David learns of Saul's exact location, he, he asks a couple of men in his near command if they would be interested in volunteering for, for this mission. Um, and a guy named um, Abishai, son of Zariah, by the way, Second Chronicles tells us this, uh, Zeruiah is actually David's sister. So this guy, Abishai, is David's nephew. And apparently Abishai is the kind of guy that would do anything and go anywhere with Uncle David. I'm sure that's why he got asked. Whatever you say, Unc, I'm with you. Because this plan is nuts. Okay? We are going to try to tiptoe th- into the direct dead center of 3,000 people who have been sworn to kill us. He's like, where do I sign up? Let's, let's go. So here they go, the two of them, they start sneaking. And I don't know how this played out. Again, Hebrew narrative doesn't give us a lot of details. But in my mind's eye, my imagination can supply plenty of details when, uh, when I'm reading. Here's the way I picture this. They start sneaking and invariably one of them makes a noise and the other one gives them a stink eye. Like, <laughs> right? And they go a little farther. Maybe one of them completely stumbles and they freeze. And now we're really dead and nothing happens. And they walk all the way to the center of the camp. I picture them testing it at this point. Like somebody's, maybe David kicks a soldier in the head or something. Nothing. He just lays there. So in verse 8, Abishai has come to a conclusion. In verse 8, Abishai says, I think maybe God has involved here. Sharp guy, that Abishai. You think? I think God is doing something here. He's correct in that much, but he's wrong in his conclusion about why God has gotten involved. Abishai says to David, Hey, I see what's going on here. God has obviously put all these guys to sleep. I mean, when they start talking in the middle, they know no one's waking up. I see what's happened. Saul has been our problem. Saul has been pursuing us and chasing us. And we're going to see very soon, David is so tired of this pursuit. So Abishai says, God is solving our problem. God is obviously allowing you to kill this dude. Please allow me the honors. Just give me one swing with my spear or his spear. I promise I won't have to reload. I will make it count. But we've seen this story before almost. Haven't we? It was... A couple of chapters ago for us. But David just had the opportunity to kill Saul, didn't he? 
in the cave, if you know, remember that story? I'll bet Abishai was one of his men trying to get David to kill Saul that day. or to, Yeah, to kill Saul that day. I don't know. But it seems logical. I think Abishai is saying, how many times does God have to tee this up for you, boss? But again, David, David knows that it's hard to tell the difference between an opportunity and a temptation. David knows we cannot go through life just pursuing whatever we want to pursue and saying things like, listen, if God didn't want me to do this, he should have stopped me. That's a dangerous way to live. David just tries his best to be controlled by God's best, by what's in God's heart. So he tells, uh, he tells Abishai, his nephew, we're not going to kill Saul. Oops. We're not going to kill Saul. Do not destroy him. Because, verse 9, first, that's going to give us guilt before God that we don't want. David knows, he knows Saul is guilty before God, but he can't control Saul and Saul's guilt. All he can control is how he treats someone else who's also guilty. David is not, again, David's not controlled by the list of wrongs that Saul has wronged him with. I can't control what Saul does or doesn't do, but he tells Abishai, I can control how I treat Saul and how I refuse to treat Saul. We see in verse 10, David has learned from last week's passage. The story of of David and Abigail and Nabal uh, last week or in the previous chapter, if you weren't here, um, we met this man named Nabal who was a real dirtbag of a human being, so to speak. And uh, Nabal offended David terribly. David had the opportunity to kill Nabal and was confronted with that plan and he repented of that plan and what happened to Nabal at the end of that story? Do you remember? He died. Why? Because God struck him dead. David learned from that. Look at what he learned. David said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike Saul down. David says, If God wants Saul to die today for the wrongs Saul has done, then Saul's going to die today. If God wants Saul to live to a ripe old age, Saul's going to live to a ripe old age. If if God wants Saul to die in battle, Saul's going to die in battle. But God will decide when he dies, not me. David learned last... God will take care of of folks who do evil. Surely. Maybe not today, but one day. So after explaining, we will not be executing Saul tonight, David tells Abishai, hey, just take his spear and take his water jug and let's go. And again, in my mind's eye, 
I, I don't know why Abishai signed up. I don't know what he thought was going to happen, but I'm pretty sure he didn't think we're just going to go steal a couple things and leave. He had to be thinking, I just risked my life to steal a pointy stick and a canteen. That's what we're doing here? Davis says, yeah. So they take it and they leave and no one woke up. You know, we can learn from David right here. It may not be the main lesson of the passage. Maybe it is. But we, we cannot control the dumb, the sinful, the awful behavior of other folks. We just can't. We cannot coerce. We cannot manipulate. We, we can't control what others do. We only can decide who or what will control us. If we don't learn anything else this morning, maybe we should learn that. All right, so after stealing the canteen and the spear, David's going to have a little fun with the leader of Saul's army, a guy named Abner. So verse 13, then David crossed over to the other side of something. We're not told the other side of what. And stood on top of the mountain or the hill at a distance, and there was a large area between them. And David called to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done is not good, Abner. As the Lord lives, all of you must surely die because you did not guard your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is uh, and the jug of water that was at his head. Okay, David, he crosses over. The, there's some gorge, there's a river, there's a something. He crosses over it. He gets up on some other hill close enough to where through, through yelling, they can communicate, and he gets pretty sarcastic with his military counterpart, Abner. He starts yelling, Abner, Abner, and he basically says, I thought you were a man, Abner. Like, what is wrong with you? Aren't you the field commander, and you can't even protect the king while you're in the field? David, um, after poking fun at his manhood, in verse 16, he delivers a, like a, a court-martial verdict. In verse 16, he says, You guys are so bad at your jobs, all of you deserve to be executed for poor performance. And then David says, Some, Someone snuck into your camp, to, uh, to do some ill toward your Lord the King. Go look for Saul's spear and his, his water jug. You won't find it. Obviously, I've got it. What message does that send from David to those folks? Why, why would he steal those two things? Symbolically speaking, David has just shown 
Saul and Abner, you don't have control over your own life and your own power. The water jug, your canteen, is a pretty precious thing when you're out in the field. Water keeps you alive. The spear is the symbol of Saul's power. He's, that spear has played a role throughout this story, right? And David has just basically said, God allowed me to waltz in and steal these things to show you don't have power over your life and your own power, your own authority. I did, I, but I refuse to act on those. Actually, God does. So David's had some, had some fun at the expense of Abner. But in the rest of this passage, he's going to get deadly serious with King Saul. Let's move on. Verse 17. Then Saul recognized David's voice. And said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, the king. David also said, why then is my lord, or why then are you, Saul, pursuing me, your servant? For what have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord, the king, listen to the words of his servant. Listen to what I'm going to say. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let the Lord accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the Lord, for they have driven me out today so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again, because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I've played the fool. I've committed a serious error. David replied, Behold the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over here and take it. The Lord will, re will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Okay, it's David's done having his fun with Abner. He gets serious with Saul. Saul takes over as the main speaker in this conversation with David. And the first thing David does as he's speaking to King Saul is he asserts that Saul's sin is sin. He confronts Saul's sin. Look at this. He says, yep, it is me, king. Let me ask you some questions. Why are you pursuing me? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Do you see that rhetorical assertion? You are pursuing to kill an innocent man. Is that okay or is that not okay? Not okay. That's sin. He tells him, he confronts him with his sin and he wants Saul to consider the answer to this question. Why are you doing that? It's a loaded question. Why do you continue to pursue this direction in your life that's wrong? And David's going to keep walking him down that line of thought. What you're doing is wrong. Why? Then he asked this question, basically. Who are you listening to? 
that gives you the idea that what you're doing is okay? Who, whose voice are you listening to? Some of this is a little fuzzy to understand, but this is what David is saying. Is it the Lord's voice that's encouraging you to do what you're doing? Has the Lord stirred in your heart to pursue me? What's the answer to that question? No. And David says this, if it was the Lord, let him accept an offering. Here's what David says there. Saul, you're pursuing an innocent man. You're not listening to the voice of the Lord. If I were, were evil in the sight of the Lord right now, what would God want me to do to take care of that? He would want you to go to the tabernacle, to the sanctuary, and, and take care of that through the means God has provided, right? If you were listening to the voice of the Lord, you would want me in Israel at the sanctuary, repenting of my sin and offering sacrifices. Isn't that true? You're not listening to the Lord. You are listening to some other voices who are giving you bad advice and people who are trying to kick me and my family out of Israel. God promised my family an allotment of land in Israel. That's God's promise for me and my family. You are trying to kick me out. It's like the people you are listening to want me and my family to go worship other gods because out in other countries, they don't have a place to worship our God. That's, that's what David says. Do you, you kind of get that? You kind of understand that? Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about that line of thinking. Why are you continuing down this road that you know is wrong? And who are you listening to that makes it seem like that's okay? Boy, are those good questions at certain times in our lives. Is it really the voice of the Lord that you're listening to? See, it's really, really easy to just live based on how I feel, pursuing what I want, and I can convince myself that what I actually want is okay with God. That's not the same thing as seeking the heart of the Lord and pursuing what God says is best. It's really easy. Now, David knows who Saul actually listens to. You know who Saul actually listens to? Saul. Saul has decided what Saul wants, and then he just surrounds himself with people who will tell him what? That what he's already decided is okay. Can we fall into that trap? Can we decide, here's what I want, now I just got to search for someone who will tell me that what I'm doing is probably okay. That's a really easy trap to fall into. I want you to notice something else about David. That he, it shows up a lot in his writings. David wrote a lot of the Psalms, like the one we looked at earlier uh, with our, about our graduates. It's almost like David says here, the worst thing you're doing is keeping me away from what? From like the sanctuary. In lots of David's writings, he says over and over, he talks about these times when he is, has to be away from corporate worship. The gathering of God's people in the sanctuary. David talks over and over about how it hurts. 
Like when he says, um, when, when I can't worship Psalm 63, I feel like I'm in a, a dry and weary land where there is no water. David, David constantly talked about how much it hurt when he couldn't gather with other, believer, with other believers corporately, publicly. Now, that's not because David thought God actually only lived in that tent they made him. Right? Like that's the only place God was. And if you don't go to God's house regularly, then God's not going to like you. That's not, that's not the, the point. Because David also wrote like Psalm 139, I think. Um, where can I go that you're not there? Remember that? Any place I go, God's there. He's everywhere. But David's conclusion to that was not. God's everywhere no matter where I'm at. So it's not that important for me to gather with other believers where God told us to gather. For David, seems like even more than, you know, Saul trying to murder him, what hurt David the most is you don't let me gather with the people at the sanctuary. And that hurts. It hurt David to be kept away from the sanctuary. One of my least favorite parts of this job is when I'm at the grocery store or the hardware store downtown and I see one of you who hasn't been at church in a while. Right? Because I've, I've, sorry, I've seen it, where I come around the aisle and I see one of these, oh boy, there he is. Like, <laughs> right? Or I say, oh man, I'm really busy. Look at these pinto beans. I better look at these. Right? Um, it, I get it. It's uncomfortable. You, you're never going to get the guilt trip and the coercion for your church attendance from me. You're just not. But family, I love you enough. I love you enough to have some real talk with you. There should be some of David in us. That idea where it's been so long, I feel like I'm dried out. And I I do want to ask you to consider what are those powers that are so strong that it keeps you away habitually? What is it that's so strong like a murderous king that would keep you away. And then I would ask you what we just considered a second ago. Is it the voice of the Lord that's telling you to pursue that which keeps you away? Is it really what is best in the long run for you, for your heart, for your family? Young people, graduates, when you leave, there's a million reasons to not find a church. But whose voice will that be telling you not to? Saul, after he hears David's question, who are you listening to? Is this really God? Why are you doing what is wrong? Like, Saul agrees. He knows what David is saying is is right, is legit. Saul's ready to, like, confess. He says, it's almost amazing to hear it coming from Saul's mouth. Saul says, I have sinned. 
I've blown it. I know I'm wrong. He tells David, just come on back. I won't harm you again because I know you saved my life again today. Now, what really has Saul emotional is that part. You could have killed me and you didn't. You did something good for me. That's what sort of melts Saul's butter. What's in it for me? So he confesses and he says, David, why don't you just come on home and we'll kiss and make up. And in verse 22, David says, nah, I think I'm good. He says, I don't think I'm coming back over there with all 3,000 troops awake. Thank you very much. Why don't you send one of your young men over here? I'll lay the spear in your canteen down. You can come get it and retrieve it and have it later. I, I, I will not harm you and wrong you, but I don't exactly trust you, right? But he does yell an invitation for Saul. Check out verse 23 with me. He says, the Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Here's what David says there. He hears Saul say, I have sinned. I have blown it. How do I make up for this? Come on over here so I can give you a big hug. David says, no, you can't control me, but you can control your pursuit of God's heart. Just start doing the right thing, Saul. And it'll be worth it. And then he says, you know why I let you live today? Because I know the Lord is going to repay each person's righteousness and faithfulness in God's timing. I think David would say, in my heart of hearts, in my flesh, Saul, I wanted to run you through. I wanted to make a a Saul sickle right there on the ground. But the Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. That's why when God keeps delivering you into my hand, I don't kill you. Because God wants to deal with your sin, Saul. That's between you and him. Why don't you get to the sanctuary and do some work with the Lord? I am not going to be sort of judge and jury. And next, we read uh, David's last words to Saul. Now behold, as your life... Oh, wait, I don't want to read that yet. I want you to tell me what, what you would say if you were David. I want you to finish this. So who's been hunting David? Saul. He's been trying to murder him, and David just spared Saul's life, Right? Is David tired of being hunted? Yes. So David, at the end of this, and he's just heard Saul confess, David says, Saul, in just the same way I just found your life valuable enough to save, so what do you think Saul or David should say next? I just found your life valuable enough to spare So why don't you find my life valuable enough to spare? Isn't that what you would say? It's not what David says. 
Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me from all my distress. That is an incredible verse of scripture right there. Do you hear what David says? I'm not asking you to deliver me. God's got that. I let you live because I want God to look at the way I live and say, attaboy. I, your life was valuable to me and I spared you. You know why? Because I want my life to be well lived in God's sight. I did not spare you because I wanted something from you. I wasn't trying to manipulate you or control you. I just want my life to be lived right. Saul hears that too. Saul says to David, blessed are you, my son, David. You will both accomplish much and you will surely prevail. Prophetic words from King Saul. Last words he ever says to David. So David went on his way. Saul went on his way. And that's our passage. There's a lot we can learn from that one. While we end, just, just from kind of from this last slide, I, I want to focus in. I want, to, I want you to ask yourself some questions this morning. Not even the ones we've considered yet. Here's where I want to focus in as we land the plane here. Every person is seeking deliverance. The only question, I say here, the only question is from where, but I think I'm going to amend that and give you two questions. Every person is seeking deliverance, like, from where? Or from what? And let me explain that. Every one of us is seeking deliverance. Every one of us is seeking to be saved still. From what do you want to be saved? You might want to be delivered, saved from your stress level right now. You might want to be saved from loneliness right now. You might want to be saved from physical ailments. You might want to be saved from feelings of inadequacy that you don't quite measure up. You might want to be saved from just being sort of anonymous. You get my drift? Why don't you spend just a minute and ask your heart, what is it you want to be saved from? We are all seeking deliverance. We are. We have these aches. Sometimes we can't even put our finger on it. We just, we know I need more. And sometimes we don't even need, know more what. But we're all seeking deliverance. Now ask yourself this. 
what is it I ask? Whatever you just answered, what is it that I try to use to deliver me from what I want to be delivered from? If you really want, if you want to be delivered from boredom, where do you go to try to find excitement? If you want to be delivered from being lonely, what do you do to try to be delivered from those feelings? If you have feelings of not measuring up, I need to be more, I just want to be delivered from being sort of anonymous and a note, what is it that you pursue to try to get you to deliver you from that? Because family, those things right there, those things can become like, gods really quickly. That's what David just said to King Saul. Listen, I can't control you. I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even wanting to be delivered from you. I just want to be delivered from God. Like that's the ultimate answer. Whatever else we ask to deliver us from our boredom, from our loneliness, right? Do I, I'm really lonely. I want this other person to like me, to pay attention to me. When I'm asking another person to deliver me from that loneliness, I will start to serve that person over and above what God would would maybe say is okay. If my accomplishments, if uh, me being impressive, if my success, because that's what I'm asking to deliver me, my identity, before long, I will serve whatever area of accomplishment I am chasing at a level over and above what I serve my God. I will have to defend that that I'm asking to deliver me. David, isn't David awesome? Isn't he great? Isn't David's behavior, don't you read that and like Saul go, man, he's a better man than I am. But please don't think David's behavior was so good, that's why God liked him and chose him. Uh, No, David understood I am chosen by God. And as David pursued to be delivered by God alone, That's what controlled his heart and that's what controlled his behavior. And as we move forward and David starts to blow it a little bit and that's going to come sooner than you think in 1 Samuel, not 2 Samuel, you know what David will start to do? He will start to ask something or someone else to deliver him. And as soon as he does that, disaster. If he is lonely and, and he is, uh, wants some excitement and he looks out over that balcony later in 2 Samuel and he sees a woman. And suddenly he thinks she can deliver me from these feelings I want delivered from. Disaster. Folks, that's, that's a lot of our battle. I only want my deliverance to be saved by my Savior. I want, I do want to feel loved. 
but I need to seek that from him. I want to feel significant and I find that in him. I want joy, which will only come from him. Anytime I try to seek some deliverance outside of him, then the other questions from the passage should come back. Is that the voice of the Lord you're really listening to? Who are you listening to? What do you want to be delivered from? And what is it you are asking to deliver you? If we can answer those things correctly, we'll save ourselves a lot of heartache. Let's pray and we'll finish up. Father God, uh, David's a better person than we are usually. Certainly, again, in this story, he is. But David seems to have gotten the point, Lord. He cannot control uh, people around him who sin. Just like we can't control our kids, our spouses, our bosses. David learned he could only control what his heart pursued. He could only control how he treated those around him as valuable even if they sinned against him they're still valuable God we know that our deliverer our redeemer lives Lord help us to fix our eyes only on you to deliver us from all of the things our hearts want delivered from because we know nothing else will satisfy when we're last. But it's hard for us, Lord. Help us lift our eyes to our Redeemer, our Deliverer, and just hang on to the hope that one day you will deliver us from every evil and longing. We love you, Lord. We want to live lives that you look at and say, at a boy, at a girl. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up and let's finish.